You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Come on in, grab a seat, grab a beer, pull up a chair. Uh, today, we are going to tackle one of my favorite uh, subjects on the show. Um, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know uh, my love for the language of cinema, my love for the visual language of cinema, and my obsession um, with telling stories with a camera. And uh, you know uh, my love of cinematography. Um, those of you new to the show, uh, I have been a director for years. I went to school to be a director and um, came out and taught myself cinematography out of necessity, being a, a young buck who uh, really uh, was going to have trouble convincing an older cinematographer who just did 35 millimeter film to come and play around on no budget. So um, I learned early on how to use the camera to tell stories, which uh, I loved and fell in love with, and then sort of fell down the path of doing cinematography on um, independent films. I did an independent feature, a lot of documentaries, um, and uh, all those skills that I learned, I have taken with me back to my true love, which is uh, directing. Now, one of the toughest parts for many of you listening to the show, being uh, young filmmakers, is we're always looking for the true insight, the true things that are important uh, when uh, planning a career as a cinematographer, trying to learn from our elders. And school teaches you a lot. If you go to school for cinematography, if you do the YouTube school of lighting or, or understanding exposure, um, but it only teaches you so much when it comes to the job. Um, I think a lot of folks don't realize that the job of a cinematographer is more the other stuff and less being behind the camera, less making things look pretty, less lighting things, less all of the stuff that seems to be the shiny shit that everybody's selling us these days. Like uh, cinematography is about making stuff look great, right? No, it's not actually. It's there's a whole other part of that job that is the more important part of that job, which is interpersonal relationships, which is understanding um, how to integrate your skills into someone else's vision. It's understanding how to integrate uh, uh, or be sort of the pathway between the creative and the money, and understanding how to handle certain budgets and what you should use and what is important. Uh, it's about being able to evaluate the situation that is in front of you and deciding that maybe I don't need to pull out as much stuff and it's not about all this gear, it's not about all these toys, and it's about this moment. It's about creating comfortability for this actor. It's about allowing this person in front of the camera to find the character. Um, it's about having that bird's eye view of the entire project and knowing your place within it and there isn't a formula for every movie for every project so it's about understanding how to fit yourself in quickly understanding where your skills are needed and uh understanding ego and the power of ego and the destructive power of ego so <clears throat> I'm excited. I think today's show is going to be one of the best that we've done on cinematography. 
and we go deep. We don't get nerdy. If you're here to uh, hear us praise specific camera models, if you're here to find out what sort of light units were used in the background or what kind of lenses were used on specific movies, uh, this isn't the place for you today. Today, we go deeper than that. We go further than that. We talk about um, what it's like to be a cinematographer um, emotionally, what it's like to be a cinematographer and deal with uh, working with legendary directors. I mean, our guest today has worked with uh, at least two of the directors on my top 10 directors list of all time, right? Uh, he's worked closely with David Fincher. Um, he's worked closely uh, with Michael Mann on an upcoming movie, which I'm fucking excited about. Um, and uh, let's continue here. Let me go through the list of stuff that he's done. He just shot this movie that I'm excited to see it's coming out it looks absolutely gorgeous directed by uh jd dillard it's called devotion uh and it has these beautiful uh plane sequences uh world war ii i think it is plane definitely world war ii plane sequences dogfight sequences and they're absolutely gorgeous so like if you're a fan of uh the recent top gun movie i think you're gonna really love this and uh me and my guest today i talk about the process that him and the director went through to make these shots incredibly calculated to make it feel like a 90s blockbuster um and it's it looks absolutely gorgeous on screen so without further ado i want to introduce our guest today he is an oscar winner uh won an oscar for his gorgeous work on mank have you guys seen mank yet if not head on over to netflix uh, today and watch it you know it's it's wild there's a lot of people that haven't seen a lot of these movies because it doesn't get the same sort of publicity that a feature film would get and so I think I think some people missed Mank weirdly some folks that I've talked to are like I haven't seen Mank yet it's on Netflix directed by David Fincher um, and uh, the cinematographer that we're chatting with today shot that film uh, Eric Messerschmidt and uh, his work on it is fantastic. And talk about a stressful gig to take, right? It's a movie shot in black and white about the writer of Citizen Kane, arguably one of the best looking black and white noir movies in existence. And uh, what him and Fincher did on that was interesting because they didn't just sort of try to replicate the style of Citizen Kane. They went in a different direction and lit this thing and, and went and, and found different references for black and white and sort of reminded us that black and white films don't have to be noir based. They don't have to be, as he said, the shadow of blinds across someone's face in a sequence. Um, and it's gorgeous. Well-deserved uh, when it comes to the Academy Award for that. Well-deserved. But his story on how he got that job is fucking fascinating. Um, because he, for years, was working for Fincher as a gaffer. And uh, I think you'll find it interesting, the story about how those two became closer and how he got offered that job, which won him an Academy Award, <laughs> which is nuts. It's really cool. Um, we talk about all this stuff. We get deep into the world of what it's like to be a professional 
cinematographer working that is working with uh, Hollywood legends today. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, big shout out to all of Eric's folks for helping me make this happen. A big shout out to Eric for responding to me on Instagram. The power of Instagram, man. I'm telling you. Uh, I was able to book him. This has been a show that we've been trying to get up and running for a few months now. I'm recording this much earlier. I'm not going to be able to release this um, until Devotion comes out. Um, so at this point, Devotion is out. You should go see it. <laughs> Those of you in the future, uh, after November 23rd, it is out. You should see it. Check it out. Um, Thank you, everybody, for following me. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. And those newcomers that are here, because you guys are big fans of cinematography, uh, make sure you follow me on Instagram, at Mike Petchy, or following the podcast, at In Love With The Process Pod, on Instagram. If uh, you've been following me there, you know that we have been running a contest with Fujifilm. And uh, I think at this point, it may have... We may have called a winner. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking for the future here, guys, because I'm recording this at the end of October. Let me be real. So hopefully we've called out a winner, but big shout out if we have to whoever wins the camera. I know we spent the entire month of November making uh, listeners go through hoops to try to win this thing. Um, I'll try to take care of everybody, right? I, if you've been doing a lot of work and you didn't win the camera, don't fret. I have other contests on the way. I know I'm talking to Indie Pro about giving away some new, uh, some new gear from them. I've got a bunch of other sponsors in the wings, so there's going to be more contests. And what I'm trying to do with the sponsors of our show is get gear and access for you to make your stuff, right? To give you the opportunity to get something that you may not be able to afford. To give you the opportunity to uh, to hear some stuff that you know we're dying to get. No, no disrespect to American Cinematographer magazine, but it used to drive me crazy when I would open that and flip through it. It was, it just felt like, you know, surface value information. I was always like, yeah, but let, let's talk about the nitty gritty of like how this works. How are you? How's the director and you communicating, right? And what's it like trying to process that? Does the stress of the set ever go away when you get more money? Does more money equal more time, right? And if there's stress that I'm feeling on my indies, if that's a stressful thing that I'm hoping goes away with more money and it doesn't, then maybe I should focus on managing that stress, right? The stress of time on set. For those of you listening, if you don't work in the film industry, the hardest part of a day for me as a director or as a cinematographer is time, dealing with time. And it always seems, it always feels like you've got 20 to 25% less time than what you physically need to get things done, right? To get these shots in the can. And at the end of the day, everything that you're doing, your prep, your planning, uh, your blocking, your casting, your lighting, you're just trying to get those clips in the bin of the editor, right? That's it. Where's that close-up? Oh, I had to lose that insert. Fuck. The sequence doesn't cut the right way because I lost that fucking insert. You know what I mean? And it comes down to timing. And then if you're a producer or you're a logistics person, right, on a, on a shoot, 
you're convincing people to let you do things for little to low to no money or not enough money right maybe you've gone and convinced uh the director needed this specific location this location's perfect and getting this location saves you so much time and energy and money on everything else because you don't need to production design as much because i love the way these these walls look and i like the way that the structure of this place looks and it's a location that is close enough to your studio setup right so you don't have to you know there isn't a lot of fucking travel time and turnaround time for folks and you're like this is a perfect place and it's everything's perfect until you go talk to the owner of that location until you talk to the locations manager manager and the owner's like okay look you can only have this for five hours and you're like in your head you know you need it for seven right and so you're saying to that person, like, yeah, we can do it in five hours. Yeah, yeah, we can do it in five hours. <laughs> and so then you're coming back and dealing with me, the director, or dealing with our cinematographer. And the cinematographer's like, I, dude, we can't do it in fucking five hours. Like, we need the sun for this, or this needs to happen for that. And so when you're doing indie stuff, I know those of you who have done movies are sitting here feeling the anxiety of that. That's our job, right? Our job is taking cool ideas and cool planning and, and a great script and putting it through the filter of reality, putting it through everything that's going to come at you, all the reasons why you're not supposed to be shooting are just going to come flooding at you. And that's the hardest part of the job, in my opinion, right? How do you manage that stress? How do you manage those expectations? How do you uh, produce that while enabling you the ability to play make-believe to create these worlds to not let that infect your relationship with the actors in the moment and all of that and then at the end of the day that is accomplishment within itself right and then you get into the other room and you go fuck there's only five clips in this bin <laughs> you know i love it it's cool this is the shit that we're going to talk about today the stuff that you don't read about in American Cinematographer Magazine, the stuff that you're not going to see on YouTube, right? You know, every once in a while, you may see an interview or hear a podcast where you start to kind of talk about this, but it gets glazed over. And uh, what I like about Eric is he's not afraid to talk about the truth on these things. Like him and I, you know, there's a bit of cynicism that runs underneath that we, that we battle for some of this stuff because we don't want to sound like two cynical old dudes. But um, I think there's a lot to learn here. And uh, uh, I'm excited to present it to you. All right. So uh, I'll catch up with you guys at the end of the show. But without further ado, let's get into it. You've got those noise canceling headphones on. You're probably going to want to write some shit down on this one. Um, and if anything, if you're if you're in, in the process of prepping something right now, if you're in the you're feeling the anxieties of shooting right now, this will help right? Today's episode is going to help you out. So find a nice comfy place, sit back, relax, and enjoy an epic episode of In Love With The Process.
It's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you this morning? Uh, thanks, Mike. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on. I'm a big fan of all the stuff that you've been doing with Fincher and obviously your work on Mank. And I'm excited about the stuff that you're working on now, which I don't know if we're allowed to talk about yet, but uh, very excited about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Me too. Um, so how <clears throat> I was looking through uh, your history of stuff. Did you get started as a gaffer? How'd you get started in the business? I did. Yeah, I get started as a gaffer. I mean, really, like, if you go way back, I was a grip and an electrician. And, you know, um, before that, just a grunt. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I worked my way up. I was a gaffer for a long time. And I worked, uh, worked for a lot of great cinematographers and learned from them and became friends. And, you know, they ultimately all became my mentors. And, and so yeah, it's it's been a it's been a, a kind of a long career for me yeah. working my way up through the ranks. Well, I mean, one would say that that's your better seasoned for it. <laughs> one would, one would say that you spend a lot more time understanding everything that's going on behind the scenes. So as a cinematographer, you know exactly how long things take and, and all of that, that it, it, I would assume that that is, uh, uh, it's really been a good ammunition for you at this point, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, there's a good portion of my job is air traffic control. You know, I mean, it's logistical as much as it is creative. And, um, so, you know, having, having some technique, uh, in your quiver to pull from is, is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, and having spent time with, with some of the guys that I spent time with, um, really armed me well, I think, you know, it, it gave me a lot to pull from and a lot to, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of situations that, that, that other people respond to, you know, when you're a gaffer and you're watching other cinematographers get confronted with some of the problems, and, yeah. um, some of, you know, the complications of the movie set. And, and um, you know, that's really helpful. It's got a 10,000 hours sort of idea. You yeah, know? for sure, dude. 100%. I spent my early career doing a lot of cinematography work and did a lot of documentary cinematography work and then moved on to narratives and stuff. And it's, it's crazy what ends what you end up having to pull, like you said, out of your quiver at that last minute where you're like, oh, right, that gig I did like 10 years ago. What if we use that same light? You know, it's it's fascinating that there really isn't a wasted moment on set, I feel, you know? Yeah, I mean, hopefully not. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of wasted moments. I wish there were less. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> sometimes, sometimes I see people wasting valuable time, you know, and it's, it's time I wish I had. But, uh, <laughs> That's true. You know, uh, <laughs> um, no, it's true. I mean, you know, it's the days are never long enough. Um, well, I don't know. I guess, you know, my, uh, my family would argue that, that the days are too yeah. long, but, um, <laughs> you know, we never quite have enough time and, um, we we always uh, you know always need more prep time and always need more time to make the decisions. You know, it's like that's the thing that takes the longest on a movie set. Usually, my experience is is the decision making. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, yeah. And it's funny because you would think that you would get more time if once you get more money, but it doesn't really work that way, huh? No, it's often the, it's quite the opposite. I think, um, unfortunately, you know, it's you might have more resources, but you're expected to use them with. Uh, uh, with tremendous efficiency in most cases, you know, so, and, you know, honestly, it's like the bigger the movie, uh, or the bigger the project, I should say the, the, 
the more factors there are in, in the, that you have to navigate, you mm-hmm. know, actor schedules, location availability, you know, time of day, stuff like that. So, you, you know, you end up spending a lot of money and, you know, resources as a DP just dealing with schedule, I find, you know, less, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'd love to shoot this at 9am, but we're not going to make the turnaround. So we're going to shoot in the afternoon when it's front lit. Okay, great. What are we going to do now? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, I need all this stuff. And you know, had we done it six hours earlier, I wouldn't have needed anything, you know? I mean, that's kind of the, the great irony of it. Yeah. All. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know. I just did a project last week, and we were just losing the sun. And it was it, it, there's nothing worse than when you shoot something and it's gorgeous, and then you're waiting on talent. And you're like, okay, this pulls. You know, you're like, pull some stuff <laughs> yeah. off the truck, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like you know, my joke these days is the only thing I can predict with utmost accuracy is the position of the sun. You know, everything else is up to all sorts of other factors that we can't control. (laughs) But I can guarantee you, I know where the sun's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. I was just sitting there watching in the monitor, just going, well, it was beautiful like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Plenty. There are plenty of surprises that we should have on a movie set any day, but the, the sun going down should never be. a (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. Um, uh, so, uh, so from the beginning, so how did you, as a kid, did you always want to get into movies? Like, when did you decide that you wanted to get into this business? I don't know. You know, I was, I grew up on the coast of Maine, you know, far from Hollywood, far from New York. And my, my mother's Swedish and we used to spend a lot of time in Europe as a kid. And I would, you know, my father's a college professor. My mother was a librarian. So I was, hmm. you know, I was a kind of an academic kid and I, you know, I played music, you know, it's you know, played in the band and I was involved in art and photography and theater really. And I, you know, I was into making stuff. I was never really much of an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. but I liked, I liked doing stuff with people, you know, and I liked photography, but I found it pretty lonely actually, you know, it was, it was just not a thing that I enjoyed, you know, just going out by myself and, mm. um, and making pictures. But I liked, I liked the process and the technology and the technique and the chemistry of making photographs. You know, I mean, in those days there was no digital photography. It was all yeah, film, yeah, you know, totally. um, and, uh, you know, but, and I found, I really enjoyed the, you know, as a, as a high school student and, you know, early on, I, I really, I liked the camaraderie of, a, of, the, of the theater, you know, yeah. um, and theater lighting and building sets and stuff. I, you know, I, I had no interest in being an actor at all, but I, I liked, you know, I liked the, that process and sort of the, you know, the combination of making uh, a, a photography and, and theater, it just sort of seemed obvious. It kind of dawned on me when I was in high school, oh, maybe I could get into making movies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, Did you always want to be a cinematographer? Was that your path in or? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I probably, you know, I was probably like 14 and I thought the coolest job was to be a special effects guy and blow stuff up, you know? Uh, yeah, I keep, I think, I think, I think of uh, Danny, I think um, of Danny McBride and Tropic Thunder when you say that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Little did I know most of it is watering pavement, you know? Um, but, uh, no, I mean, you know, uh, no disrespect to my, my uh, special effects of course. brethren. Of um, course. But, um, but no, I, uh, I think as I, I just, I, I, it seemed like an obvious career choice to me, you know, going into, into filmmaking and on the technical side of filmmaking in particular. And I was probably too insecure to be, you know, tell everyone I wanted to be a director, but I was too secure to tell them I, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I wanted to sweep the floor. So, you know, yeah. like, um, <laughs> right. Somewhere in the, in the middle there is cinematography. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I think, um, I, 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 once I learned what a, what a cinematographer did and kind of did more research and then I went to film school and really understood, you know, started to understand anyway, what, what that job was. I just was, um, completely captivated by, yeah. it. you know, it's like, Oh, this is so cool. And, you know, and then when I started to get on movie sets and these sort of semi-professional sets, um, and, and watch, watch the DP work. And certainly in those days, you know, the DPs had a lot of power and they were really, yeah. um, you know, when we were shooting film and nobody really knew what it was going to look like, except for maybe the DP and the gaff and the operator, you know, it's the rest of us all had to guess. And I, you know, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, it was very very know? magician, very um, magician. Like at that point, very magical. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like the, they were at the alchemists, yeah. you know, yeah. and, um, yeah. And I was completely seduced. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I found, interesting through my career process was you know the mix of the camaraderie sort of like joining the circus was always fun like being on the crew and being with the team and the connections that you make on those 16 17 hour days sometimes um and then sort of the alone time with just the love and the research about the language of cinema and about what the history of cinema does and what it means to use specific lenses and what camera movements can mean and that whole language that is sort of the invisible emotional manipulator. That stuff really got me excited too. Um, did you, did you, were you obsessed with the language of cinema prior to it? Is this, just, is this something that you learned on set watching cinematographers? Were you doing your own research on your own? You know, I, I mean, I think I, I was, I was pretty, you, you know, it's like there's some, when you first get started and you sort of you begin pursuing the idea of being a cinematographer, you know, if, at least I, I, in my case, I, I just absorbed everything I could, you yeah. know, I, I probably read the American cinematographer manual, at least the edition I have. And I still only have the one edition that I bought when I was, you know, 20 years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I you know, probably read it cover to cover 15 times, you know, I mean, it was like, I, I lied in bed reading that the way I, uh, you know, kids read comic books, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, American cinematographer magazine. And then I got into more, you know, kind of, you know, Hitchcock Truffaut and, and, you know, the kind of, yeah. uh, some of the more obscure, you know, the five seasons cinematography and, and, uh, you know, optics and focus and all this sort of, you know, the real geekery of, of, of cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, but I, I did, I got, you know, I, I got pretty interested in the, in the idea of vocabulary of cinema early, you know, especially like, you know, watching Hitchcock and, um, and, you know, early Spielberg and sort of watching how, you know, learning how they were breaking scenes down, you know, reading, you know, what's, what's that book? Um, the D David Mamet on directing film, yeah. you know, all those ideas of like, how do you break down a scene? How do you structure a scene? In, in terms of, you know, pre-visualization and how to use the camera. I, you know, to me, that was like the, that's the coolest yes. thing about yes. filmmaking. Yeah, I agree you with know? you completely. I get super yeah. nerdy about that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's like the, the reality is, is I, if I could just prep and not shoot, I would be the happiest person <laughs> on the planet. You know? Why? Because shooting shooting's <laughs> just a series of disappointments. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing, man. I feel like I feel like cinema is it's like sixteen weeks of hope followed by twelve weeks of disappointment. <laughs> you know, you're like, yes, you know, you sit in a room with somebody and you know someone that you are 
you know, maybe you already love or you're learning to love them or you're learning not to love them, depending on who you're working with, you know, and you're, um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're developing the ideas and thinking about what you're going to do together. And that is the coolest thing, you know, it's like the coolest yeah, thing. Uh, yeah. and then you get into the, you know, you get into the trenches. It's sort of like, you know, it's, 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 it's like making sausage, you know, we, we make, you know, we go, we make the sausage and then in the end you give it to the, to the, uh, to the editor and they cook it and you sure hope it tastes good, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're, you're trying to make sausages while people are pulling all your pieces away. Like your kitchen is disintegrating. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know. I was joking around somebody. I, I said, it's like, it's like cooking except, um, you know, you're, when you show up in the kitchen, none of the ingredients you ask for are there and it's probably raining. You know, <laughs> That's what cinematography really is. Uh, oh, but, but dude, you know. as painful as it can be, it's such a, like a beautifully fun thing to do in general, especially I find that when I have the ability to look down the barrel and look through a viewfinder and have the rest of what is reality sort of hidden from me, and just see how this glass is processing whatever light we're throwing in front of it. Uh, I find that part to be pretty magical. And I feel like I'm, if we're a team of, uh, if, we're, if we're journeying to the center of the earth, I'm the guy that gets to go through <laughs> the cave first and just see what this space is going to look like, you know? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's the coolest job in the world, you know, especially when it's great. Yeah. You know, it's like... Yeah. You know, we get to go all over the world. You know, I mean, I just just spent six months in Italy, and you know, I mean, I'm just like constantly traveling and meeting new people and seeing people and exploring, and you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's I'm I, I don't mean to be overly cynical. It's, um, it's I'm just I'm kidding around. You know, <laughs> it's but fine, it's, it's uh, fine. no, my it's, show you know, ends up incredible. being cynical, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. Uh, every once in a while, I try to pull us out of it. <laughs> appreciate that yeah, yeah. so we don't go down the hole yeah. <laughs> uh but no it, i mean it is kind of a i always compare it to cooking so like when i'm not filmmaking i'm i'm cooking and i'm making things it's the same sort of manipulation of the senses for me it's just you know you're using a couple of extra senses when you're making food but there's something so magical about being a chef and being someone that is is pulling these ingredients together and and uh, I think a lot of young filmmakers, because a lot of young filmmakers and, and cinematographers that listen to this show, we become so obsessed, like you were saying early on, where you're reading all those books and you're obsessed with that stuff. You forget that like 65%, or if not more, of your job is just being like a, a fucking football coach to a certain extent and being like a, a, a therapist for such a large crew of individuals that you're working with. And then also you know, being really good at speed dating and learning how yeah. to have a relationship <laughs> with, with these directors and trying to process, you know, how they see things. And uh, at this point, you're now in your career working with some fucking heavyweights and, and uh, directors that have created, you know, cinema that has altered the way that we see cinema, at least in our generation. I'm, I'm 43, so in our generation, you know, like, cause you're working with like Michael Mann right now, or we're working with yeah. Michael Mann. How was that? That must've been crazy. I mean, it's, you know, look, I'm incredibly fortunate. You know, I, I, uh, I, I really idolize, um, filmmakers of previous generations because I feel like they have, they have something that filmmakers of my generation don't necessarily have. You know, they have this experience of, of, 
um, from a time when it wasn't as easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it is easier now, you know, I mean, it's easier to know if it's in focus. I mean, those are simple things, you know? Yeah. Um, but huge things, but it, I, huge things. And I think, you know, I honestly, I, I uh, look, I'm not a producer, um, certainly not a director, but, but I think, you know, uh, a lot more stuff gets made now than got made, uh, when Michael made heat, yeah. you know? Yes. <laughs> um, so the tenacity it takes, uh, to to uh to get a film like that made or or you know or david fincher you know to, to get fight club made is is enormous you know mm-hmm. um and, and not not to discount the efforts of, of of filmmakers of today but uh but i i, I just feel like there's you know there's a tremendous amount to be learned from those guys and um and to have the opportunity to create something with them is uh is uh you know it's an incredible privilege i do um, i'm completely envious i mean just the learning sessions that you get in the prep with those guys and just understanding how they piece things together and sort of getting a glimpse of all that experience spilling out in front of you, that must be just amazing to be a part of, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. You know, and it also gives me, you know, a better appreciation of, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, when you work with a filmmaker that's maybe made a couple movies and they're just getting started and they, you know, they're still trying to, to discover their grammar, you know, they're still kind of figuring it out what they're, it's not style. I think style is the wrong word because I think, you know, one filmmaker can, can work in a number of different styles. Uh, yeah. You know, um, but, but they, um, I mean, some are singular, but you know, I, I I think an example of a a great filmmaker is someone who, who's capable of working across a, a broad spectrum of, of style, you know, but they, but, but they all kind of formulate their own technique and their technique for prep and their technique for scouting and their technique for communication and all that stuff. And, and they're all different, you know, and, um, younger filmmakers, um, uh, are, are all still trying to figure that out a little bit, you know? Yeah, um, I sure. think, uh, dude, and I, it's yeah, fun. Yeah. It's fun to participate in that too. You know I mean? It's like, you know, I've had uh, privilege now to work with, with some, some great, very experienced, directors and you know i like to think that i can bring some of that experience in you know into the into the uh the younger directors that i work with and and say oh well you know he did it this way or she did it that way maybe that would help you or whatever you know i mean Mm -hmm. just to sort of try to discuss but um but no i i do i mean i think that there's um you know that that is such a nice it's a nice thing to absorb is just watch how watch how people get their movies made. Well, you bring up such an interesting point because we get so hyper-focused on like, I mean, we live in the world right now of cinematography, right? Everybody is so hyper-focused on how great things look. You know, we're sold uh, on this side of the, uh, the wall. We're sold gear and how like crystal clear and how great cameras are in, in low lighting situations. And, and with television right now, everybody wants everything to look like, um, you know, cinema. And so we've got some of the best looking content created ever, I think, you know, as far as cinematography is concerned, because it seems like that's been such a hyper focus for producers or of producers. Make sure it looks fucking great. And that's what everybody's doing, that we overlook a lot of these other skills. And you, you just had a little statement there, like their techniques for, for location scouting. We don't know. We never really talk about that. We never really talk about 
that you should have a technique when you go deal with locations and how you're processing these locations and what, what exactly is it that you're looking at and how you're making your way through it. You don't think about that until you start directing. Like I've directed a few pieces and when I first time I was location scouting, I'm like, what's the system here that we're supposed to do? You know, and it, yeah. you're right. You're trying to figure that out. And it's crazy. You don't think about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's more, you know, there's more to talent than taste, you know, and, and, um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think you, we, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to make a bad image these days, especially if you have a good location, you yeah. know? Yes. Um, but, but the tools, you know, the tools are easier that, you know, they're the, the, the cameras are fast. Uh, they're comparatively inexpensive. Uh, it's easy to shoot a lot. There's a lot of skilled crew, certainly a lot more skilled crew than when I got started, mm-hmm. um, all over the world. Um, and there's, you know, there's a, a huge variety and a, and a huge availability of equipment generally, you know, so, so stuff is, and it's also available to, to students much earlier. I mean, I didn't see an HMI until I was at, you know, out of college, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It wasn't like, yeah, 100%. like, you know, I, you know, and, and that stuff was so expensive when I was a kid, you know, yeah. now it's like every, every, um, every community college kid has access to, to HMIs, you know, and, or, or LEDs or whatever, you know? And so it's like, that is so cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the thing is, uh, and it's sometimes controversial when I say it, but uh, I don't, I don't think cinematography really should have as much relationship to the way movies look as it gets, you know, I, I think cinematographers get a, get a real disproportionate, um, credit for the way movies end up looking. And I, and I actually think, um, the cinematographer's job is a huge part of it is just, is protecting the sandbox of the director, you know, make sure that they have, um, make sure that they have a place, they have a supportive place to make the movie the way they want to make, you know, and, and, you know, lighting is just one element of it, lensing, camera direction, all that stuff is, but it's, you know, the, the wrong, the, the wrong relationship between a director and a director of photography or director of photography and a production designer can have, regardless of taste um, can have way more negative impact on the movie than if the person has, has skill. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and so, you know, if you, if you are, if you are good at reading the room and you understand what's important to the film and you, and you have something to contribute to the movie and, um, and you can, um, you can support the director in whatever technique that they want to apply to the movie. I think that you, you can, you can make great images. You know, if, if you're just focused on making it look great, maybe you, you, you make a great looking shitty movie. You know, <laughs> It's very true though, man. It's very true. And, and, yeah. and it, <clears throat> finding that bond between the keys at the top, finding that, that language that you all speak is so important. And <clears throat> cause at the end of the day, uh, I'm sure you've been there. I've been there. Like if you show up and it looks like shit, it's going to look like shit. Like if the set looks like crap, if the, the, the if the costumes aren't there, if uh, you know the stuff isn't in front of the camera to film it, it doesn't matter how many lights you have. You know, it, it, it's right. You're in trouble. And and then if you're not speaking the same language as the director, you're in trouble. You know, like have you? <clears throat> what is your process when you meet with a director for the first time? How do you? form that bond how do you build that safety net 
Well, it changes, you know, I mean, it's, it, as I, as I've gotten older and, and matured more, I think, you know, um, that's a dangerous thing to say, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> now <Nah>, it's okay. <laughs> as, as I've, you know, as I've, uh, as I've spent more time in the business and, 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 and worked, you know, the more directors I work with, the, I think the, hopefully the better I get at it. But, um, I, I mean, I think it's about vulnerability, honestly. Like, I think that's what I look for. I, I want someone, I want a relationship with someone that when, when, when either of us is scared about what we're making, we are capable of expressing that to the other person. Yeah. That's bad. Um, that's huge. You know? Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I really don't like being in a situation where, where, uh, I can't be an honest partner to that person when they're, when they're feeling like they're unsure, because, um, I actually think that that's when you make your best work, you know, mm-hmm. it's when you're unsure, it's like when you're confident, that's when you should be worried. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Cause you're, uh, you're playing it too easy at that point. Like you should be pushing. Yeah. It. You know, you're probably not taking risks and yeah. You know, I mean, I honestly think like when, when you say, I mean, I think you're right. It's like, if the set looks bad, then it's going to look bad, but it's also like, I think all sets, look fake you know i mean i remember walking out of the back cave you know i snuck onto the set at warner brothers one day and i walked in the back i was like man this looks fake you know of course like (laughs) when wally shot it like it looked fantastic you know it's like yeah but you know out of context it's like man it's like paper mache man really you know that's what they're gonna do you know um (laughs) it's true it's true so yeah uh you know but i i yeah i think that's, I mean, that's really, that's probably the number one thing. And you don't always get there, you know, I mean, certainly like, yeah. Um, well, but, but you know, you want to be, you want to be, it needs to be a safe space, I think. Right. <clears throat> it's always f- fascinating to, whenever I'm in a position where I, I start to feel posturing or, or ego, ego is always the tough thing, no matter what. And, and I, <clears throat> not just with directors, but also with crew, like ego is, I think the killer of, of creativity, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. And we're all guilty of it, you know, myself included. I, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it takes a certain amount of ego, I think to approach things. And, uh, you know, I do think you have to project confidence that, you know, at least to some level, you know, when you, you know, you walk onto the set and, and you block a scene with a director and then, and then you're the DP and then you stand there and 90 people turn to you and they're like, okay, great. We're, you know, now what? Um, <laughs> you gotta be a captain you know, of the you, ship. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, even if you're completely unsure, you know, hopefully you, you, you make people feel like you have a plan, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I think I, you know, I think the problem is when, is when ego becomes noxious, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, and, and if, and if it, if it smothers other people's ideas or, you know, it creates an environment where, um, there's kind of a disproportionate, um, you know, where the power structures is confusing, you know, I mean, I think when the power structure is, mm-hmm. is, is straightforward, um, and, and the roles are clearly defined and say, okay, I need you to take care of this. I need you to take care of this, et cetera. Um, you know, then, then, then ego tends to be less, less dangerous. You know, I think then people can be confident and they can say, Oh, I want, I need to do this. I need to do this. But it's, you know, sort of like, you know, the most, uh, you know, probably the most, uh, uh, common workplace injury on a movie set is bruised ego. You know, it's like when people (laughs) feel like they're not hurt. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) 
<clears throat> yeah. I mean, I always say whenever I'm doing directing stuff, I always tell people it's like being a director is like being a submarine captain. You know, your submarine's got a bunch of holes in it and you're about to submerge, but you're like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> you just sort of go yeah. down confidently. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it's like, I, I think people get in the movie business because they have ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to embrace that and support that and, 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 and surround yourself people with people that have ideas and they're, they're idea positive and they're, you know, they're forward thinking and they're curious and they're inquisitive people. You know, I mean, all of that stuff is, is, is crucial. Um, but you also, you know, you can't, you, you can't let the ideas get in the way of the decision-making and ultimately somebody has to be the decider, you know, I mean, someone has to make a decision and say, this is what we're doing. And I think that that's, um, that's often, you know, the, the, the act of making that decision is often confused for ego when in fact, it's just right. executing a, a plan, you know, and, right. and, and people whose idea, you know, oh, he didn't take my idea. Uh, you know, he doesn't like my idea. His ego is too big or whatever. It's like, well, no, maybe it's because that person's the director and they have to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's your, and, that's uh, your, that's your fucking job all the way around if you're a director. You, yeah. You're making yeah, choices. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a democracy, you know, it's, I think it, it, you know, it's, it's to some degree, it should be a dictatorship. It's just hopefully the, the director is a benevolent one, you know? Um, (laughs) Well, how is, um, because, well, let's talk a little bit about Mank. I, that movie's absolutely gorgeous and it's beautifully shot black. I mean, I have such a soft spot for black and white anyways. I feel like once you go into that black and white mode, it, for me, it's all about lighting and contrast. And it's just, it really showcases the simplicity of, you know, the craft. Um, but it's so complicated to do it right and, and beautifully. Um, what was it like working with Fincher on that? It must have been such an interesting collaboration between you two. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, it was. You know, I mean, David and I had done... Um, I mean, at that point we had done Gone Girl together, but I was the gaffer on Gone Girl. Jeff Cronenworth was shooting it, um, mm-hmm. but I but I knew David, and then I you know we had done two seasons of Mindhunter together, so we knew each other pretty well. Um, and uh, you know, I think I, you know, I got that. You know, he called me and he said, "Hey, I want to you know I got this black and white movie. You want to do a black and white movie?" And and I was like, "Yeah, of course, I want to do. What's the movie?" And then he hung up and. <laughs> You know, I didn't really know what it was. Uh, and then he sent me the script and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, this is cool. You know? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, um, you know, I think, I think both of us were, were really cautious. I mean, you know, at the time it was like, I was, I was completely freaked out that it was going to become a cliche, you right. know? And I think that, that is the dangerous thing about black and white is it becomes derivative of something that people are used to looking at. And then people start to have ideas about what it should be. And, oh, uh, well, this is what black and white's supposed to look at, look like. And, you know, the reality is, is the spectrum of black and white is enormous. You know, you have like yeah. all of that kind of thirties glamor to, you know, kind of Warner brothers noir. And, you know, it's like this, it's just incredible depth of of different styles you know even you know jules and jim and french new wave you know they're all mm-hmm. different and they're all great in their own way you know but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i think you know for david and i it was like trying to land on where what the movie should look like without it being the obvious oh let's do the venetian wine thing here and let's do the you know chiaroscuro um you know super high con 
noir thing, you know, and it's like, I think all of us, I think cinematographers in particular, you know, you get black and white, it's like, oh, great, I get to do uh, do noir, you know, it could be on the waterfront, or it can be the big combo or whatever, you know, and that's the reality is, is that's not always right for the scene or the movie, you know, so it's like trying to find, my fear was that I was going to be seduced by something that was not in service to the film right because i'm a cinematographer and it would be cool to do you know it's like oh great you know but um well that, i think that was the biggest concern we had well especially with the well, certainly i did especially with the connection to citizen kane i mean talk about one of the most iconic i mean that's the movie that you sit down in film school and they play for your first day you know so in that, that black and white photography is iconic in that movie yeah <laughs> yeah that's why i didn't sleep for five months you know? <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, complete going home every night, completely freaked out that I'd done the wrong thing. You know, uh, did you? Did you? Were you put at ease when you started shooting, or were you just? Were you have anxiety through the whole shoot? <laughs> I no, I mean, I don't know. I always have anxiety. I'm always worried that it's the wrong thing. You know, I'm always like, uh, oh, I should have done that. You know, I, you know, I, I ruminate about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, I think that's a good thing, actually. I think if I, you know, if I didn't do that, I think my work would be worse. Um, it's probably not that healthy, but, it, but it's, um, sure. yeah. I mean, <laughs> sure, I'm sure. I'm always, I'm always self-examining what, you know, the decision I'm, I'm, I'm making or, you know, or whatever. Well, I mean, but is there, there has to be, a, there has to be a point when you look at the monitor where you go, all right, we did okay here. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you're not going to, you're yeah, not going to live that long, my friend. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I, you know, I think you sort of, you know, I, you know, I, I never turn to the first day day and say I'm ready out of triumph. You know, it's all, it's always out of reluctance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I think, look, I mean, there's, I, there's, it's not to say that I'm not proud of what we did or, or, or I feel like we, we, you know, we executed or, you know, but, but I do look back on everything and say, oh, man, I wish I'd moved out of two inches to the left or, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think that that's, that's just kind of my personality, but, but, um, yeah, but as a, no, I mean, you know, as a director who's sitting in the edit room all the time, I'd go, dude, it's fine. It was on screen for five frames. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Stop losing sleep. It was five frames. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I'm fascinated with your relationship with, uh, David, because he's got sort of this reputation of, of plucking, you know, gaffers and crew people and giving them the opportunity to, to shoot larger things. Like, were you guys, when you were working with him on a gaffer level, were you guys talking about, you know, shooting anything or did did you just randomly get a phone call and he's like, Hey dude, you did such a great job. Can you want to to shoot this movie? I I, know. I mean, I never, I never came out and said I wanted to shoot, but I think it was probably obvious to him. I mean, we, had done I you know I have a stills photography background when I as I when I first got out of college I, I worked in fashion and fine art photography a little bit in New York and and so I got to you know I was familiar working as a stills assistant and lighting stills and um and I and uh when we did Gone Girl David was going to shoot some um promotional stills for the movie and he uh he knew because he, he he knows fine art photography and he kind of you know he he follows fine art photography we had talked about it you know some of the people i had worked with and mm-hmm. um and he said hey man i'm gonna go shoot these stills this week and of rosamond and, and ben do you want to light them for me 
Um, oh, cool. And, you know, because it was all strobe and, um, mm-hmm. and I knew strobe photography. So uh, I was like, yeah, sure, man. Sounds good. You know, I, I love six days, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, and we went and we did those, those stills together. And, um, and that was co- kind of our first one-on-one. I mean, we had been on the movie, but of course, you know, it's, you're on a film set with, you know, with a hundred people. Sure. Um, sure. And, and still sets substantial. It's a way more intimate. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, and we just, you know, that movie was long. It was like 115 days or something. I can't remember, but, it, but, uh, so, you know, we, we became friends and then we stayed in touch and, uh, you know, he, uh, when he needed someone to do Mindhunter, he called me. Um, it's wild. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, was really cool. Um, um, but you know, David, um, you know, David is someone who is interested in a team, you know, and he's interested in forming a team and having re- long relationships with people that understand his process and are su- will support his process, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's, he's not, he's not looking for a bunch of freelancers that he calls and hopes, you know, it's, he's, he's looking for long-term relationships that he can invest in. And, you know, it's, I'm incredibly thankful for that. You know, I think there's very few of him like that, you know, very few people like that left. Dude, that's the goal. I mean, by no means would I ever try to compare myself to Fincher, but that's what I try to do too. It's if you have a group of people that understand your language, just on the simplest level when you're on set and you can't find the words for something and you just look and grunt, you know, and, and people go, got it. Yeah. 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 Like this is, right. this is what he's looking for. I got it. I got it. Like that in itself is so fucking valuable. Um, you know, for sure. For sure. I mean, I look for that, you know, it's like, uh, with my crew, you know, gaffer, assistant operators, you know, key grip, the guys that I work with all the time, you know, um, it's, it's so crucial to me to keep those guys together. I mean, they're, you know, in one, in one regard, they're like my family, you know, it's like, you know, our, our families know each other and we, you know, we spend time together outside of work, but we also, you know, have a shorthand and we, um, protect each other and, 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 and being able to work quickly with those guys has been so, um, incredibly important to me, you know, just, so, so sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll look for work just to make sure that they stay working so that I don't lose them to some, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they don't cheat. So they don't cheat on me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's how I feel about some, when I, my, my cinematographer that I've used as a director for years now, he, I know all the other directors that he works with and every once in a while I'm like, Oh, so you love him more than me. <laughs> this yeah, is exactly. like, that sense of like, <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you have to get over that pretty early on as a director, but in the beginning you're just sort of like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, let true. me put together a project real quick. Don't, don't disappear. <laughs> true. Um, so, but David, also like incredibly visually oriented with his stuff i mean he's got that reputation for being the guy that 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 shoots beautiful like beautiful stuff so were you i guess you knew him long enough at that point i was going to say were you worried or did you have any anxiety of sort of like uh being able to process what he needed or is it a relief to have a, a director that is that visually oriented no i mean i i i think i was I just didn't want to fail him. You know, I knew he had taken a risk and he had given me an opportunity that a lot of people would, um, would, would, uh, would have wished for and, and were probably, you know, uh, uh, in a better position to, to tackle than I was maybe, you know, and, um, <laughs> but you know, there's something, you know, David and I had a relationship and, and, and he, uh, he gave me an opportunity and, um, 
you know, I, I just, I wanted to do my best. I mean, I, I never, you know, the, the thing about David and I is are, we're really confident with each other in, in, in terms of saying when we like something, when we don't, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's ultimately kind of the job is, you know, you're on the set and you're trying, you know, it's, uh, 500 decisions get thrown at, at both of you every day, you know, far more to the director than to the DP, but mm-hmm. you know, you have to be able to respond reflexively to that stuff and say, okay, this works, this doesn't, this works. You know, there isn't a lot of time to, to, um, consider, um, the sort of moment to moment decision-making, you know, the kind of, mm. um, you know, the football came situ- you know, kind of situational awareness part of the job. Um, and, and fortunately David and I, I think in particular have enough shared sensibility where it's, where we're often in alignment, you know, it's like the, you know, we, we walk into a set together and we go stand in the same place. Cause that's probably where we should put the camera, the first setup, you know, and it's like, um, <laughs> that's cool. So that's, that's really nice, you know? So no, I mean, I, I had, you know, I was intimidated by all sorts of other things when we did that movie, but, but, um, but David and, and my, my relationship with him, no. It is time to take a break and uh, show some love to the men and women that make this show possible, to the companies out there that are sponsoring and level the process. Without these folks, the show wouldn't exist. I'm telling you right now. Um, they help me uh, stay employed. Let's put it that way. They help the show up and running. They keep us up and running. They keep us uh, paying for all of our ridiculous costs that you really wouldn't think about before you started a podcast. Um, but I'm excited about our sponsors today because they're completely relevant to today's guest. I hunted high and low for companies, for products, for things that I wanted to advertise on the show that I use, products that I love. Uh, And I know many of you came on board. A lot of you are uh, specifically here because Eric's on the show and you guys are looking for nuggets and tricks and tips and what kind of lenses are you using? Are you using any filtration? Like, what are you guys using? This is the section for you. I will get you in deep and hopefully offer you some stuff that you can use. All right? So first up, I want to give a big love, big hug, big shout out to our new sponsor on the show, uh, Boca Rentals. Now, if you're in Los Angeles, or even if you're not in LA, you can find Boca on Instagram right now. Um, But Boca Rentals, go to bocarentals.com to their website. Uh, And how I got hooked on these guys was that their social media accounts were very informative for me as a shooter. As you know, I just started shooting again. I just shot a lot of Gina's new stuff. I just shot my new short um, and I was looking into lenses and it's been a while for me. You stop shooting for a couple years. Next thing you know, you don't know what camera bodies you're supposed to be using, what lenses look the way lenses specifically look for. And and with all these new formats and larger uh, large format cameras, and Super 35 chips, like what lenses work with what? I found Boca Rentals uh, Instagram incredibly informative because they would post their lenses that they had in their stock, in their inventory, and they would show clips of stuff with them that was shot with those lenses. So if you're trying to get your head wrapped around like the distortion lenses have, if you're trying to get your head wrapped around the lens flares, all that kind of stuff, Boca Rentals is a great resource. As I said, 
They are a premium full-service rental house located here in uh, Los Angeles. They're actually in West LA. Um, and they pride themselves on their core values, taking pride in the reputation that we built with our clients. Um, and they have so many great reviews here on the website. Uh, they have 24-7 support. Um, and we totally understand the need to be flexible. We work with clients to ensure a smooth rental experience. Here's what I like about these guys. They really care about the creators and the young shooters that are out there. There are a lot of other bigger, more, I want to say uh, larger rental houses that have been around for a lot longer. And I don't know if you've ever tried to go to one of those places as someone that's just doing a short film or someone that's just kind of starting out. You get in line, right? Scorsese rolls in, he gets treatment, he gets priority. Um, with a place like Boca, they know that their main clientele is all the young filmmakers that are starting up right now. And I'm not just saying students, and I'm not just saying uh, like shooters. These guys are giving out kits and packages to some of the biggest Netflix series out there right now. So if you're like, what lens did they use to shoot Joker? You can find it at Boca. And one of the big reasons why I really uh, went into that place, hung out with them, because their selection of anamorphics are fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. So I just, they outfitted me with all my camera package um, for the new short. We shot on an Airy uh, Mini LF. I also did that on the Gina shoot, and we just shot that stuff um, open gate, which, by the way, I'm in the process of right now, as we're speaking, I took a break from color grading to do my ad read. I'm color grading this stuff in Resolve, and turns out I need the, the full version of Resolve to actually color the open gate stuff at its actual full size and cropping which is fascinating. So if you guys are shooting uh, LF, keep that in mind, that if you're gonna color grade it and you wanna keep that open gate aspect ratio through your color process, I think you need the full version of Resolve to do that. I was just figuring that out today. Um, but the stuff looks gorgeous and beautiful and I'm excited about it and I couldn't do it without the dudes over at Boca. Uh, we're in with these guys for a while. Uh, get ready for contests, get ready for all sorts of really fun stuff. If you want some extra credit on the Fujifilm thing, I've seen the, those of you who have been posting, go to Boca Rentals on Instagram and uh, give them a shout out. Say, hey man, we heard your ad read on the new episode. We're excited. Do some contests. Tag me in it. Tell them that you guys want to do some contests. Would you guys be interested in a comped package to shoot something? You know what I mean? We could do some cool stuff. We'll hook it up. BocaRentals.com. Also supporting the show is Fujifilm. As I mentioned, we are giving away a Fuji camera. Where the date is coming. We're at the 17th right now. Um, we will be calling, I think by the next episode, we'll be calling out the winner of a free X-H2S camera and zoom lens from Fujifilm. Yes, we're giving out a free camera. Uh, this camera, I use it, I love it. I've shot video with it, I've shot stills with it. It's faster than ever, uh, 40 FPS, blackout free burst shooting with autofocus and auto exposure, uh, 30 frames per second shooting over a thousand frames, improved autofocus, subject detection, autofocus is amazing. 
Uh, let me click on this and see what they have. The X Processor 5 features a subject detective autofocus based in deep learning technology that automatically detects and tracks a broader range of subjects, including animals, birds, cars, motorcycles, etc., etc., as well as human faces and eyes. So image makers can concentrate on the composition and creativity confident that the X2S, I'm sorry, the, the XH2X will track focus accurately. I know that this is something that Gina absolutely loves uh, because she's shooting with her GFX stuff and she's consistently using the autofocus, making sure everything's in focus, which is incredibly helpful because we're usually shooting wide open on lenses, very shallow depth of field. And in the past, she would actually try to crank it up to like a five, you know, five, six to try to get exposure, which meant we need more light. So having great autofocus stuff actually saves you on having to get larger light units in some weird way. Think about that. Um, it's a great camera. I can't wait to give away the, the rig. If you haven't entered the contest yet, go to Mike Petchy at uh, Instagram. So that's at Mike Petchy, and you'll see my pin post um, for the Fujifilm contest. In the description of that post, there are the rules. Do it. Sign up and earn extra credit. And those of you who are looking for extra credit, listen to the past five episodes of the show. I give out little nuggets on how to get my attention, uh, to how to get yourself out of the large pool and into the extra credit pool when we pull the name at the end of the month. So listen to the past episodes for more details. All right. Uh, supporting the show, our friends, while we're in the camera game, let's talk about camera power. Indie Pro Tools, they've been with us for a little while now. This is the place to go if you're looking for battery accessories. If you wanna change uh, your camera, if you wanna run like your Blackmagic 6K Pro off of like a large uh, V-mount or gold mount battery instead of having to like take it in and out of the body and plug the camera in to charge it. Weird shit, right? Um, that's what I did. I got a V-mount setup. Actually, I got a gold mount setup, which I like. Um, and uh, it's a little plate adapter that sits on the rails and I can power uh, my Blackmagic 6 and I can also power all of the monitors and follow focus units that I'm gonna use. Uh, head on over to IndieProTools.com now. And if you use the promo code LOVE20, that is LOVE20, you'll get 20% off your first order. And anything on IndieProTools.com, I guarantee you're gonna find something there that you, that, that's useful to you. This is all the details and the odds and ends that really don't come with cameras when you buy them. And these are the things that when you're on set, it would be like, man, it would have been cool if I had the ability to power all this together and only have to change one battery. Last time I had to change a battery, uh, I ruined the interview because I had to call cut. It took fucking forever to unscrew the cage. You know what I mean? Those shooters out there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, head on over to IndieProTools.com and see if you can make your life easier. I'm telling you I did. Let's see who else. Oh, of course, our boys over at Jambox, jambox.io. You've heard me talk about this all year. Uh, Jambox is the website that I found, the company that I found that has changed the quality of work that I do because their licensed music is so high quality, so affordable. Anything that you've seen me edit over the past year has had Jambox material in it. I'm telling you right now, head there, go listen to the music. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Go to jambox.io right now. Listen to the music. Listen to what's available to you. Let it inspire you. Then check out their pricing plans. 
They're incredibly affordable. I myself have the $19.99 a month unlimited commercial plan, which allows me to use anything from their website. Uh, full access to all sound effects and stems, meaning I could pull apart songs, take the beats out, take the high parts, take the vocals out, remix it to my cut. That's why people go, why do your cuts so intense? And why do they feel so cool and so fluid? It's because I cut to music, man. Um, but you can use all that stuff at the $19.99 tier for paid advertising, corporate business, weddings, life events, etc., etc. Live life events. What are life events? Never really read that. Um, also, uh, if you are just someone that has um, YouTube, podcast, etc., etc., $9.99 a month gives you full access to all the music, and you can use that for social media, web streaming, personal student project, film festivals, bum, 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 bum. Um, and you get 30-day free trial. Boom. So head to jambox.io right now, especially if you're a student, because you get all that for six bucks a month. Um, and uh, get your shit together, right? Make some better stuff. Make some better sounding stuff. Because if it sounds better, it looks better. Right? For all those DPs listening, you shoot some pretty stuff, and then you put some clowny fucking crap music underneath it. It starts to look like shit, doesn't it? Um, let's see. Did I forget anybody? Boom, 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 boom. Fujifilm, Boca. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, for those of you who are newcomers to the show and you want to listen to some more episodes, but you're like, fuck, dude, you got 220 episodes in your queue. Where do I start? Well, I'll go back to number one, lazy ass. But if you're someone specific <laughs> that wants to just listen to all my cinematographer episodes, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated all the episodes by subject material. Make it super simple, super easy. You can go and, you know, run a cheat code and just listen to all the cinematographer episodes right now. Um, so do it. That's it. Let's get back into it with Eric. Coming from, you know, the lighting world, that must be on your brain all the time. Like, it, it, like when you sit down and, and start to do uh, a shot, obviously composition is first and foremost, but are you, do you, are you obsessive over lighting because of your history or do you just sort of relinquish that control to whoever you're working with as far as gaffers? And the no, I, I mean, I, I probably... Dan, Danny Gonzalez has been my gaffer now for many years, uh, probably would... Uh, uh, <laughs> probably would say that I'm pretty controlling, but I, I, I don't, I, uh, I'm not that excited about lighting. Honestly, it's not something that I'm really interested in hmm. that so much, you know, I mean, it's not something that, I, that, that I, you know, it's certainly not the first thing I look to. Um, hmm. and, and I think, um, you know, it took me a while to kind of land there. I used to think that was the thing, you know, and I, you know, I remember reading the books and, and, you know, watching, movies and thinking oh my god there's the magic between 250 and 251 and only he can see it and you know it was sort of like the mysticism of it all you know yeah um and i you know i used to really believe that and i know a lot of people do i i, I just don't i mean i think that it's like most of the problems and the decisions we make in lighting are are are, are it's logistical problem solving you know and if i, I think if you've if you have enough if you've done enough 
prep in terms of understanding what it is you're trying to get the movie to look like or what the, you know, what the conditions of the scene are, you know, maybe it needs to be practically lit. Maybe it's glamor. Maybe it needs to be really razzle dazzle. Maybe it needs to be, um, you know, more, uh, uh, greedy or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, then, then the the lighting decisions really shouldn't take more than a few seconds in every instance. You know, I think um, I, I think the stuff that I really respond to and the stuff I get excited about, you know, the part of cinema or filmmaking that I get excited about, and certainly the the part of the uh, relationship with the director is figuring out where we're going to put the camera and how we're going to direct the camera and what we're going to do. You know, are we going to move it? Are we going to keep it static? Is it going to be handheld? Is it going to be on a steady cam? Are we going to be on a crane? Are we going to be you know, are we going to do this in one shot? Are we going to do the whole movie on one lens or whatever? And what does that mean for the story? And how does it mean, you know, how is that going to affect the audience's um, mm-hmm. absorption of what's happening dramatically? You know, that's way more interesting to me. And and maybe it is because I spent so much time in the lighting department um, when I was younger. But uh, I, I also don't think that you can make any lighting decisions until you have that kind of determined. You yes, know? I mean, it's for sure. Like, for sure. hundred um, percent. So, so for me, like the most, uh, you know, and, and, and that is one of the joys of working with David is, is that's the first thing we discuss is where are we going to put the camera, you know? Um, and, uh, and you know, not, not, no disrespect to actors or blocking or, or, you know, what's happening in terms of performance, but generally it's like, Oh, well, we want to, we want to see that wall. That's why we picked this location. You know, we want to look towards those windows. So let's block the scene in, in such a way where we make sure we're looking towards those windows and then talk about the coverage. And then, you know, then the lighting decisions sort of come after and, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully like there's been enough prep where those lighting decisions, there, there's enough, forethought or pre-rigging to, to execute that stuff with, you know, without starting from scratch every day, you know, that's sort of the, that's the game of it. But, um, well, and uh, but no, I, you know, the lighting is, is for me, it's like, it's the second thing, you know, maybe the third thing. Yeah. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. And then <clears throat> you sort of grazed over it here, but what's your relationship with, with actors as a cinematographer? Because I, I remember, Years and years ago, when I first got started working with my first real talent and having a communication with that talent, like, how are we going to move the camera? What are we going to do? And and sort of the the collaboration between me and that actor really transformed what we were shooting at that moment. So uh, there needs to be a good relationship between you and the talent. How 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 does that work for you generally? Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, I you know, see, I don't operate generally, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which. Uh, which I go back and forth on, but you know, it's usually I'm working with directors who like to use multiple cameras. And so it's, you know, for me, I like to see, right. Right. I like to see the set from kind of an elevated perch and I don't like to be removed from the director and the script supervisor. And generally, you know, I, I typically become really close friends with the script supervisors on, on the movies I've worked on or the shows I've worked on, you know, because that is such a, you know, that kind of uh, certainly with David, but other directors too, you know, that, that trifecta of, you know, director, script supervisor, um, DP on a set. Um, those conversations are so crucial. And I find when I'm, when I operate, you know, I'm removed from that conversation in a way that, Hmm. that I I don't like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so as a result, oftentimes the operators become closer to the actors than I do because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of back in some, 
pop-up tent, you know, miles away because for some reason we have to have 40 monitors you know, or whatever, you know, but, um, <laughs> uh, it's for the small theater. No, I mean, I, it's for the small yeah, theater exactly. of people. Behind you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole, you know, yeah. all, suddenly, yeah, suddenly the cruise, you know, you, the video village lands and suddenly there's 60 more people on the crew. Yeah. And, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm being cynical again, yeah. no, but you know, I, um, <clears throat> I, 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 well, what I, I, as I spend more time, though, I guess I mean in terms of actors, you know, as I spend more time, um, uh, and I, as I've gotten to work with more actors, uh, I, I've I've started to really appreciate and understand their process in a way I never was capable of before, and I think probably because I was so distracted by the techno- technology and the technique of cinema that I just didn't have enough. I didn't I didn't have enough. Um, distance from it to to uh, or I had too much distance from it to really appreciate what was going on and, you know and I always insist if I can to be in as many rehearsals as possible you know I love being in a read-through mm-hmm. you know like the kind of first page turn all the way through it you know it's especially if you rehearse in, in a production office or you ultimately rehearse on the set I love to see the scene take shape because it's for me it's like that's when you really understand what's happening you know I mean I can read a scene and, and sort of evaluate what the subtext is or think about what's what's really happening but Mm -hmm. but but at least for me anyway i I don't i don't think i'm 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 certainly not capable of of really understanding what's happening with the scene until i see it see the players play it you know yeah um yeah and uh and so you know that that is sort of the the one thing it's like you can you can previs a movie to death and you can say oh we're gonna put the camera here and we have to put the camera here but once the actors are on the set if you know if it's the wrong decision it's usually pretty clear it's the wrong decision you have to be prepared to pivot to make sure that that whatever they're doing is supported because if they if they play the scene you want them to play or you and the director have thought it should be played because it's really important to you at the time to see out that window and then they play the scene and they need motivation to do something else and it's clear like no they they really need to do that for the scene to play um you know i think it's your responsibility as, as a dp to make sure that's supported and 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 uh and conveyed Yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was making my transition from being a cinematographer to being a director, that was one of the hardest things for me to do was sort of, I had to sort of turn my back for a little bit on all the technical stuff because I found myself just being comforted by it, sort of escaping to it and hiding behind all of that technical knowledge. And then, you know, working with, with actors, which I've joked about on the show multiple times, when I first started as a director, actors felt like a little herd of unicorns that I would try <laughs> try not to scare away when I went over and talked to them. And so the it took me years to sort of like step out of the technical tent, if you will, and sort of walk into this weird little circus tent of actors and emotion. Um, and so the combination of those two has been, I guess that's filmmaking. You know, it's 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 bringing all that gear and bringing all that technical savvy to emotional moments because like if you've got like the same way if you've got like a shitty looking set and you're not able to light that the right way if you've got a beautiful looking scene and, and talent in front of it that is not feeling confident and doesn't feel the character then what have you done all that work for you know what i mean right right yeah. right yeah. yeah you know it's 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 you don't want to restrict you don't want to restrict performance in a way that's um you know i think it's I think it's easy to become selfish in a movie set, you know, and we're all guilty of it, you know, Mm -hmm, DPs, mm -hmm. actors, directors, everyone, you know, this is, it's really important for me to put this flag here. And so I need to put this flag here and now it's going to block your island, but I have to put this flag here, you know? Right. um, Right. right. You know, I think you have to, you have to, uh, 
the exercise ultimately is is about being empathetic to other people's processes and and learning and and trying to look at it from thirty thousand feet and see okay well this is uh, this really is important here and I have to take a back seat here you know what what I think is important maybe is not that important because if it does if we don't get the performance none of it matters and you know that's been kind of the biggest lesson for me in the last like five years I think is sort of learning to watch and and attenuate my own what you know my own wants uh, uh, mm-hmm. in, in you know hopefully in favor of, of what what is best for the movie you know and and oftentimes so you're sort of learning to to recognize like oh well this is uh, I thought this was important but it's actually not this is actually what's important here you know mm-hmm. you know what I mean well, yeah. And one of the th- techniques that I use with a lot of my crew is that when I finally end up in the edit room, I'll bring them in the edit room. So I'd like the makeup artist or whoever that was giving me a hard time that fucking day, <laughs> just come in the sure. edit room yeah. and just be like, just watch the sequence. Everything that you did was great. You were feeling insecure about that, that thing that wasn't even in the frame. Ultimately, it doesn't even make the cut. And uh, when right. I feel like when you're a younger director, you're trying to convince a lot of folks around you, like, dude, I see this thing. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And you really just have to have that time of putting things out and editing things and sort of proving to folks and just saying, like, this is all I was trying to convey to you. We could have saved, you know, 40 minutes if, you know, <laughs> right. you had wrapped your head around. <laughs> yeah, we no, for sure. You're right. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I think, I think what people forget um, and a lot of a lot of film students forget is that we, you know, in a movie set or in filmmaking, we control everything that the audience sees. Yeah. Um, you know, so I like to think there's no such thing as a mistake. It's choice. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, if that accidentally happened, if it wasn't pre-visualized, okay, well, that happened. You you can do another take, you know, or you can put it in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and so it's you know it's we can absolutely go until we the the timing of that guy crossing the street is exactly when we want it to and all that you know we can we if you've planned ahead enough or you've given yourself enough time to orchestrate things you know cinema is about orchestration and uh you know the uh, you know, the John Cassavetti school probably of like well that's not orchestrated at all that's technique you know i mean that's yeah. a deliberate choice of i don't want to I don't want to manicure this. I want to discover it in the moment and, and I'm going to roll with it, but he's still, you know, he's shooting takes and seeing what works and what doesn't and, and assembling the movie, you know? And, and, yes. it, you know, I think the fact that the audience only ever sees what we show them is, is the real magic of cinema, you know, and that's the real thing that's, that is, um, so vitally important to what it is we do is the fact that we are controlling and, and, um, you know, it's, it's an orchestral movement, so to speak of, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to cut to this close up, and then I'm going to cut to the POV and then you're going to see what happened. And then I'm going to cut to the reaction shot and you're going to cry. And then you do it. And then the audience cries, you know, and voila, there it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's to me is the one thing that keeps me going back and being excited about it is, is trying to get better at, at, at doing that with directors, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there's something, as we talk about all these different advancements and how much easier it is to make movies these days, all the advancements in the edit really, really, really take a lot of that stress off. I mean, you can, I mean, I've heard, my buddy Stu Valberg is, was one of the uh, assistant directors on um, 
on Mindhunter, and he's seen a lot of the the he's like introduced me to a lot of the processes that uh, Fincher has used, and especially in the post production where he'll like split screen different performances and like take you know the performance of the actor on the right hand side from take you know twenty seven, and then the, the actor on the left hand side is from like take two, so like you you can really be crafting this stuff in post production, so it's it's a little bit different than it, I guess it was back in the day when you're you know, shooting it on film and like everything needs to be perfect. You know what I mean? On set. Oh yeah. Or it wasn't, you know, I mean, look, there's whole sequences in the Godfather that are out of focus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, I mean, but I, that stuff, know, th- that stuff adds to the language. Like I, I feel like the overstabilization, yeah. yeah, the overstabilization and the over cleanup of some of that stuff kind of sterilizes a, a little bit of all that sort of energy, you know, like you watch like it, favorite sequences in Die Hard. It's like, that's all out of fucking focus and the camera shaking on the whole movement for that. But it still works right. really well, you know? Right, 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 right. No, I, th- I think you're right. You know, it's like, it, we can, you know, the audience knows we can do anything, you know? We can, we can take them to outer space, you know? We can put them, we can shrink them down. We can, you know, make them the size of Ant-Man. They're so used to that. Mm. Um, so, you know, the kind of the trickery of cinema, I think, is less... Is, is you know the audience just they're desensitized now they're used to it you know the kind of um the trickery of cinema is hiding the trickery of cinema now it's 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 the mystery of uh the mystery you know um mm, it's, it's a you know it's a it's a it's a parlor trick now it's not you know it's like you know used to be i think cinema was a david copperfield performance and now now to me i think it's 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 sleight of hand is the thing that's Hmm. most interesting you know hmm. yeah it's a fascinating way to look at it i never really thought of that hmm. yeah well dude this has been great how are we on time okay so we're about an hour all right we should probably wrap this up soon how are you on time are you okay i'm fine i got plenty of time yeah did you want to talk about devotion at all or sure let's talk about devotion what's going on uh um how was that process for you you know that that movie uh, that movie was really interesting to me. You know, it was, it, was, it came, I, I was, uh, I was shooting the, the finale episode of Fargo in Chicago for uh-huh. my very good friend, Dana Gonzalez. And, um, and my phone rang and it was, uh, an old friend, uh, Bruce Franklin, who, who, when I knew him well, was a, was a, uh, first assistant director and had since, uh, moved up and, and was now producing. And he called me and said, Hey, I've got this movie, this aerial, this, you know, this, war picture we're going to shoot in Vancouver. Um, and I think you should meet the director. And I had done a lot of commercials with him when he was an AD and we had worked together with Joe Kaczynski a bunch. And, and, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we just knew each other well and, and I was flattered and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll meet the director. And so we had a, we had a zoom call. It was, you know, really the kind of right in the midst of the pandemic, the beginning of, of, you know, just as we had gone back to work, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, well, they sent me the script and it was this, you know, it was kind of, um, very involved, uh, you know, kind of aerial, uh, extravaganza, you know, and, um, and I was like, God, oh, this sounds fun. This sounds like a puzzle, you know? And, um, yeah. And I got on yeah. the phone with, with the director, with JD and, and we hit it off. I mean, I think we had a two and a half hour meeting. We talked about everything. We talked about cinema. We talked about our lives. We talked about life in the movie business. We talked about, race we talked about um politics you know and um 
And, uh, he, you know, Bruce called me back, you know, after we hung on the phone, he said, I think you've got the job. And <laughs> so I was thrilled. Um, That's cool. That's cool, man. You know, and then, That's... yeah, it was great. You know, it was really great. And then we met personally. I, I went back to LA and we got together and we just immediately started storyboarding and talking about what the movie could be. And, you know, it was, it was, it was really great because that particular film, um, they knew that it was, it was technically involved and, and, and the producers did not want it to be this kind of visual effects laden, um, uh, you know, heavily, you know, kind of, uh, fly by night, um, war movie. They wanted it to be something special and something that was, it was, you know, had a little bit more integrity to it. So we, we had a lot of prep and, and JD and I sat down and we, we just talked about different ways that we could do it, you know? And, um, and it was, mm. it, I, I loved that process. I mean, I think we had four, four months or so together where we really just talked about what we were going to do and different ways to tackle some of that, some of the scenes in that movie. Um, oh, so it was, that- um, you know, it was a real joy. Um, and it was hard too, you know, I mean, the movie needed more money and it's kind of like a little, you know, little movie that, that, that could. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's fascinating because it's gorgeous. I mean, you got like, I've seen the trailer and it's beautiful and, Oh, thank you. How did you, so knowing all those restrictions, when you have, when you have those conversations with the producers and they're telling you what, what, what you don't want it to be like, where do you go? Because there's been so many different war movies. There's been, I mean, some of the oldest movies ever made or, or like, you know, air aerial combat films. Like, are you going back through all that stuff? Are you going to a different place? Like, where did you go to first start designing the look for this piece? Well, we looked at, we looked at a lot of like (laughs) what we didn't want it to look like, you know, (laughs) and, um, you know, I mean, one one of the first things we said was, well, we want to do, um, we want the movie to be as real as possible in that, like, you know, we want to do as much real flying as we can. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we didn't have all the planes we needed, but we had a lot. I mean, we had, I think four, four Corsairs. Um, that were with us the whole time. And we had a, you know, aerial unit and they, you know, they had set it up. They had set the movie up well uh, to support that idea. So it wasn't like we were making a bunch of, a bunch of CG planes all the time, you know, and that was really nice to hear from, from the producers. They, they weren't just looking for, Oh, just go sh- send a second unit out to shoot plates and we're going to put CG planes in. Um, you know, I think every frame that there's a plane in it, uh, every frame in the movie where there's a plane, there's at least, two or three real planes in there, you know, and there are set extended airplanes, of course, because we couldn't find 50 of them. But, um, sure. You know, we had, we, you know, we had tried to do that. And we, when you just kind of built rules for ourselves, you know, so when we shoot in the planes, we're only going to ever put the camera where it could actually be if it was in a real aircraft. So even if it was a, uh, a buck on a motion base in front of an led wall, we weren't going to fly the camera around on a, on a techno crane and make it look like, um, you know, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. It was, you know, yeah. it was meant to be, this was like, if we can really put the camera in, this is where it would have been, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah. Well, I mean, but even those old planes, they're so beautiful and the, you know, they're, they're, it's like little hot rods that go up in the sky. They're loud, they're intense, you know, just having that be real and having that be there to not only just influence the talent, but influence you as the photographer and it, it changes everything. I think, I mean, that was the success. Oh, yeah. That was the success of the new Top Gun was the fact that it was just all physical and seeing like right. the, the strange things that would happen with G-Force 
that you really couldn't imagine if you were trying to replicate that stuff in a VFX suite, you know, like that. Absolutely. You know, and I, I feel that same way when I look at the, the plane footage in this trailer, it does feel really cool. And as a filmmaker, I get excited when that shit happens that you don't think is going to happen. Like that strange little camera shake that you never would have assumed would have happened or, or, you know, the weird way that the sun affects it. Um, I love those discoveries. Those things get excited to me because, you know, being an asshole that's sitting in front of a, you know, a patent piece of paper in your desk, you can't imagine what that stuff's actually going to look like, you know? Oh yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, we went, there's a sequence in the movie where we, um, we were able to find a, a training aircraft. It's called a T six that is similar to, um, the U S Navy Bearcat, which is, there's a whole sequence in the beginning of the movie where they're flying Bearcats. And so the, the, the trainer has two seats. So that you're able to mm. put a real stunt pilot in the front and put the actors in the back. And, and all of that photography was done for real. You know, we, the actors went up, they directed themselves and we flew around and, um, you know, it's that was kind of the benchmark for all the rest of the flying footage in the rest of the movie. We shot those sequences really early. And, and then we always referenced back to that because we couldn't do that for, you know, a number of the other sequences because we just didn't have the aircraft that, that you know, it wasn't it wasn't an option to go up into the into the mountains and shoot shoot these guys in, in Corsairs because there is no two seat version. So, right, um, right, right. you know, we always referred back to that footage and OK, well, this is this is what it really looks like when it's real. Let's make, you know, let's make this the target. Um, and you're right. You know, it's, it's hard. It, 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 it are, it's, it's those little kind of chaos theory mistakes that happen, you know, this kind of like the mm. glints of the sun, the, you know, the imperfect reflection, not everybody's backlit all the time. Sometimes they're front lit. And, you know, it's like, how do you, you know, kind of fuck it up just enough to, to make sure that it feels like it's, they're, they're you're actually up there with these guys you know and that was that was the goal always but it you know the movie has a look too and it has you know it had stylistic intent intent and you know so we were we were trying to find that balance together and you know i think for jd and i in particular it was like um that that was so much fun to to just debate you know how do we do this and what's what's the right choice you know and neither of us really knew you know i mean it was like okay well i think this is the right choice here yeah, 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 yeah. And when you're designing that look, which is like really sort of this beautiful, this like rich, rich blacks, it's it's very beautiful as far as the, the color is concerned and the, the tone is concerned. Is that just reference stuff that you're pulling and putting together as you're, as you're putting together the look early on? Or is it based, obviously it's based upon your experiences that you've had prior to this too. Like, is there something that you've done on another film where you're like, well, next one I do is... It's going to be, this will be the kind yeah, of exposure. I, uh, I think, you know, we looked at a lot of, we, there, there was a, there's a lot of reference material. You know, the Navy is really good at documenting itself. Um, <laughs> and we had, you know, these were real characters. They were real guys. And they, you know, the, the stories of their life and the story of Jesse Brown, who, who, um, you know, is the, the film is based on, um, you know, there's tremendous amount of reference material. And so when Thomas, the production designer and JD and I, you know, sat down together a lot and we would just talk about what the movie looked like and what the color scheme was. And, um, you know, we, J, JD wanted it to feel, he wanted it to feel period, but not, um, uh, not, but, but kind of told in a modern way. You know, mm. so it, 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 you know, we wanted it to feel like classically designed, you know, the, in it kind of in the spirit of, of a nineties blockbuster, you know, kind mm -hmm. of a Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. um, and so we wanted to lean into that, you know, the idea, you know, 
re- really staged and, and um, composed compositions uh, that the actors play inside of, um, you know, so we, you know, we put down marks and we shot shots that were, that we, you know, that we pre-visualized and, you know, I mean, not to say we were sitting there in the computer months ahead, but we were, you know, talking about how we wanted to do it in the rehearsal. And we really, you know, we were sort of quite careful about making sure that every shot we shot was intended to be used in the cut, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that, that was important to him. And, and that was nice because it also meant that we could light it in this, in a way that was, you know, it was, it's, it's quite rich, you know, it has this kind of khaki, um, uh, undertone and, and, you know, a lot of the guys, especially the interiors that, you know, they're lit with warm incandescent and it's, it's contrasty, but it's soft and, you know, be, it, and, and a lot of that is the byproduct because JD was willing to work in a way that, um, that, that meant that the camera direction was somewhat predictable, you know, um, yeah, yeah, and the sure. actors were ba- very patient with me and, uh, and, and, you know, um, willing to, you know, work within the confines of a frame and all that stuff, you know, which is, 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 I think sometimes it's a lot to ask of actors and not always appropriate, but, you know, in this, this movie, it, it was something that was important to us. So, so we did that, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, we wanted it to feel like, like you're in, you know, you're in a, um, slightly hyper real army base of, of 1957, you know, and that it's, it has that kind of worn khaki tobacco, um, you know, um, mm. I love it, dude. Color. I love it. I love that. I mean, that's, that's my vibe for filmmaking in general. I, I love that sort of composition hits your marks. Let's light this thing. Let's make this feel, uh, everything feel deliberate. I think that, uh, I mean, there's room, and I, I shouldn't say that that's the only thing I like. There's, there's room for movies where you can be flexible and all over the place and finding the action and, like, lighting a room more 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 basically or more evenly so that way actors can go wherever they want. But the movies that always spoke, I mean, I'm a Spielberg kid. You know what I mean? The movies that always spoke sure. to me were, like, intentionally blocked. Like, why are the actors moving from, oh, the actors are moving from uh, left to right in the sequence because they're giving exposition. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, yeah. th- there's a language that's there that, you know, I came up with as a kid that really fucking excited me. And, and I think that when I start to see, and I could see it in this trailer, when I start to see that on if I go to the movies and I see a trailer with that language completely apparent in it, I'm like, I'm there. I don't care what the fucking movie's about. Like this, they're they're obviously being incredibly specific about this. That's the kind of movie that really excites me as a filmmaker and, and as an audience goer. Um, but it takes a lot of fucking work to do that, you know, and to like that. Does. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of yeah. time. A lot I mean, of some, time. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody said to me once, you know, there's I when when you're on the set make sure you're making a film and not a recording, you know? And I think, I think there's truth to that, you know, it's kind of the way I think about it a lot, you know, it's like, okay, well, if everything is done with intent, um, then, then hopefully the movie has more power, you know, in in terms of how it affects the audience. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that's, that's what we all want, you know, at least when it's, when there's, um, there's a, there's enough creative energy behind what we're doing that it, that it, it overwhelms the audience and they almost, you know, they don't, it's not that they forget there's a camera in, in the, uh, in the set. They forget that they're watching a film because they're absorbed in the, in the, in the moment, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, talking about, you know, Spielberg, there are sequences that I'll go back and study. Like if I'm, I'll be sitting around designing something and I go, well, what did he do in Indiana Jones? He did this camera move and they're, 
I've gone back and watched them. And as I'm watching them from a technical perspective, I get lost in it instantly. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. What were they? Hold on. And I have to rewind it again. <laughs> I have to rewind it right. again. And sometimes I have to shut off the audio and I have to shut off all the stuff in order to actually stay focused on it because he's so good at it that even being critical about it, I'm, I'm getting pulled into it. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What did they do there? Fuck. Rewind that again. Let me see what that was. Um, and that's the kind of, that, that's the language that I love is where it's so hard uh, to be critical about it because you get pulled into it. It's so perfectly done, I feel like. Uh, it's a personal opinion, but um, that's the kind of cinema I fucking love. I really love that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, there's that kind of, that um, that famous scene in um, Clute when uh, Jane Fonda is, is walking in through the nightclub and she's, she goes and sees Roy Schneider. Mm-hmm. Roy Schneider. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it's it's a long tracking shot, and I think most people would look at that and say, "Oh, it's just a, um, you know, that's just a Steadicam shot going through the crowd." And then you watch it a couple times and realize that everyone has been choreographed, and every mm-hmm. moment, everything that Jane is doing is is uh, has been designed because there's no way the operating and the and the orchestration of the background around it would have allowed to make sure that the audience absorbs each and every moment that she's doing and each, every look she's looking towards Roy and, you know, the kind of like, um, Mm. that, um, that stuff to me is like, is, is so magical. And like, that's when it's really incredible is when it's, when you, you don't notice it until you watch it a couple times and then you realize that, you know, it's a card trick, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And it's what I still love about films is that, you know, films still to a certain extent have the, I think it because it's such a restricted time frame, right? 90 minutes, maybe two hours. It's, it's very restricted that you can take that budget and cram as much of that in there as possible, as opposed to a lot of the streaming stuff these days where the budget's are stretched out pretty fucking thin and the shooting schedules are ridiculous. And, and you've done a bit of both. Do you find that you still have the ability to do that level of detail when you're doing like a streaming show or is that only still available for you when you do fe- uh, features? Um, I, I mean, I think it's, I, I've been pretty fortunate. The television that I've worked on has been, has been well supported and really well produced. So, um, you know, I've had, I've, I've generally had really good experiences. You know, I think, um, I think, you know, the, 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 you know, the director always has an appetite for more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think they should, you know, look, I mean, you can't, you can't shoot that close up when you're in the editing room. Right. Um, right. So I, you know, I generally, I, you know, I, the directors I work with, I, I usually encourage them to cover stuff. You know, I, I think it's, it's good to give yourself some options because I've seen people commit to things and then watch them experience it when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you can still play it as a one even if the coverage, uh, is on the cutting room floor, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Uh, it's, you know, it's harder to make the case with the studio maybe, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's a part of, there's a part of, television that's interesting because it's restrictive and it forces you to make decisions. And I think, uh, directors and producers should lean into that idea and take more risks, you know? And I think if you look at the television, that's, um, 
you know, that's sort of consistently critically acclaimed. It's the shows that are taking risks, you know, things like Severance or, or Queen's Gambit or, or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, or even Mindhunter, you know, they're, they're, they're taking creative risks, um, in, in, in ways that are, that are, um, both, you know, story forward, but also producing forward, you know, like, let's not cover it here. Let's, let's support the director here. Let's focus on what's, what's important in the, uh, in the scene. And, and, you know, there's a lot of excess that happens in, in feature filmmaking too. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the excesses of, of, of equipment and crew resources and, and, uh, and stuff, you know, we, it's easy to get lost in the maelstrom of that a little bit, I think sometimes. Uh, so, right. You know, um, I, I and I think television is a, is a really great medium when it's well supported and when the when the producers sort of have the um, have uh, have the show in mind. You know, in terms of making sure that the that the choices are, are are being made properly. And I, you know, I've been really lucky to work on those shows. You know, every um, I, I I I have not had a bad television experience. Really, you know, I might be in the minority there, but I generally had a really good one. Well, yeah, you're working on some of the best shows. <laughs> you're yeah. definitely working on some of the best shows out there. So I get it. I get it, man. It's cool. It's a cool way to think about it. I, it's, it's always the best. I mean, that's that's what our business is, right? It's the battle between commerce and art, and the battle between time and money. You know, and like uh, at the at the end of the day, as a director, you know, you you sit in the edit room and you go, "How big? A, how many clips do we have in that bin? It's only five clips." Right. <laughs> <laughs> shit yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah yeah i mean you know nobody nobody turns netflix off and says well at least they made their days you know <laughs> yeah, um that's very true. I, you know <laughs> i mean we forget about it you know and in the moment in the heat of the moment look i mean i'm, I'm as guilty as, as anybody else you know you feel the pressure that you know you're the, the the day's getting long you you know you're trying to um trying to get every piece and and um you know, you get the case of the fuckets, you know, you sort of like, oh, well, throw in the towel that, you know, it didn't work. And, um, yeah. and then you have to live with that decision, you know, and it lives forever. It's, you know, the movie lives forever, or hopefully it does, you know, I mean, I sure hope it does. I mean, I want, yes. um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, the stuff that, the stuff that I make, I, you know, I hope people look at and, and think about. And so, um, it should matter and it should, you know, you should put the time in and, and fight for every shot and push for it, you know? So I, I, I think that that's, really important thing to remind people of in those moments. And, and I try to remind myself of that as well. You know, it's like, man, uh, you, you're going to be in the DI trying, you know, staring at this in, uh, in 15 <laughs> weeks, make sure you're, you know, don't, don't throw in the towel, man, you know, and, and it's hard sometimes when you're, you know, under the pressure of overtime or turnaround or, or just a long day or it's starting to rain or, you know, whatever it is that's, that's becoming a, a um, uh, an issue for you, you know, in that yeah, moment. Cause, yeah. Cause I mean, that takes a skill in itself is how do you process the stress of the, you know, the logistic side of filmmaking, because that's a whole other, I, I always find that when I'm on a shoot, there are like two different worlds. There's the logistics, you know, and you're dealing with the AD department, you're dealing with the producers and they're like, all right, we only got like five hours here. We got to get the fuck out of here. And you're just going like, well, I know in your head, you're like, I know it's going to take seven hours. <laughs> you know? right. so you're just like, how do I break this to these folks? Well, I don't bring it up yet. <laughs> like, how do you right. break it to them? And when do you break it to them? And when are you pushing for that? And, and then you, you you hope that at the end of the day, when people watch it or see it on the monitor, they're like, okay, this was worth my nightmare and my headache. Because 
I feel like a lot of the logistic folks, they're they're celebrating when they are wrapping early. They're celebrating when things go smoothly. They're celebrating, you know, not having problems. Um, but I think in order right. to, to get the beauty, you have to sort of have problems sometimes. You have to go through that process. So I, I find that, that battle all the time on sets. Do you feel the same way? I do. I mean, I think – I think to be a great director, you have to be incredibly tenacious, you know, and, and to some degree, maybe borderline unreasonable. Hmm. You know, I, I, I don't think to be a great cinematographer, you necessarily have to be. I mean, I think that there's, there's, um, uh, you know, my favorite sort of situation to be in, well, I shouldn't say that, but I, but, but I think the best situation, it's not always my favorite is to be paired with someone who is, pushing you hard and and you're trying to try and put the pieces in place to support their hunger as much as possible without without adding to the stress you know mm-hmm. um i i think that you know i try really hard um to be practical and you know and pragmatic and 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 simple as as, as best i can and i you know i don't i think it's dangerous when dps you know kind of gild the lily and we get accused of that a lot you know but it's um you know, I think you, you know, it's, it's the director's time. Um, yeah. Yeah. and, and that's sort of the thing I, I, I really feel like it's my responsibility to protect, you know, but you know, in the same regard, it's, you know, the crew is smart and, and I think, you know, good crew, they're there, they, you know, they want to be there and do the hard work and the actors too, they want to do the hard work, um, until they start to feel like their time is being wasted. And, yes. Um, and that's yeah. when you start to lose people, you know? So it's like, I think it's it's a case of of making sure that you're not wasting anybody's time that you're prepared you know if you're a director anyway or DP you're you're prepared enough to make those decisions quickly so that so that the time is spent getting things on on film you know um, and then you know if you do that well I think then you have you know people will follow you to the ends of the earth and they'll they'll do the hard work you know it's um, uh, but I, yeah I mean I I don't know I think that I. It's, I like to, I I don't want to, I, I don't like to be unreasonable in my expectations and I don't like to sugarcoat generally, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, you know, I might be, I may be served better if I was, was more kind of unreasonable or more, more demanding, (laughs) but, uh, but I think I, you know, I really think it to some degree, it's the director's job to be demanding and that they should push the rest of us and we should follow suit and, and, and do our best to follow, you know, and that's kind of the, the best scenario. And you, you know, you're really just there, um, to make, to make the best choices you can under the circumstances. Um, yeah, I agree. That's kind of the the way I try to work. That's the way, you know, that's the way I prefer to work anyway. Well, it works, right? It's working for you. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're only as good uh, as your last movie, so you just yeah. got to keep trying. You know? Oh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's very true. What are you doing now? It's I, I keep – because this show is primarily younger filmmakers that are listening to us, and I'm sure. always trying to tell them the honest stuff that happens because most of what we get – as uh, you know, young filmmakers is you know we're looking at behind the scenes featurettes, which are most of the time bullshit. You can actually see the f- the formula behind the scenes featurettes, where it's just like the director's amazing. He's amazing. You just see everyone looks the same. If you drop in the timeline, they all run the same. And so with us, sure. we're, we're always trying to like talk about the specifics and the nitty gritty and the things that 
in my experience, I wish I had known about earlier because then I would have looked at it differently when I went into my prep. And the thing I try to instill with anybody listening to, to the show is our job is prep. If you're talking at this level, if you're, it doesn't matter. Even if you're a fucking gaffer, your job is still prep. And the, the, the biggest problems that I've ever had on set is when someone doesn't do their fucking prep. And when they show up and they're, you know, half deciding and they're like, well, I didn't really think about this. And that's when you start to lose the crew, especially at like, you know, the 10th hour. And uh, suddenly they're like turning turning everything around again. And you're like, oh, God, why are we doing this? It's just prep, 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 prep. And I, I, you know, I try to instill that a lot. Do you feel the same way? Like prep is the most important, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, I... That's why I said, I mean, I'd prefer to prep, you know, if I could just prep and not shoot, I'd be thrilled. I, I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, look, it's, you, you can still change the plan if you have a plan, you know, um, uh, I, I, all the plan does is, is help you as a director, you know, it, it gives people direction to point and, um, you know, especially on a big movie, but even a small movie, you know, you might have 60 people or a hundred people, you know, on a, on a really big movie, you might have 250 people. You want them looking, looking in the same direction. Yeah. You know? Um, and you need, you know, I think, I think you need a system to communicate to people around what, what works for you, what you, what, what does not. Um, and, and it's also important to be consistent about what you're looking for so that, so that you create a situation where people can anticipate, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's great when, you know, like for example, if I'm, I'm on a TV show and I can't scout something and the gaffer goes and scouts for me, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Danny, who I work with generally can say, Oh, he's not going to be okay with that. And Mm -hmm. he's usually right. You know, (laughs) and it's because we've had enough time together and we understand each other enough to where he, he doesn't really need to inquire about whether something is going to work for me or not. You know, he's like, Oh, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, creatively, aesthetically, it's not going to work is what I mean to say. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's even more true with directors, you know, if, is it, the, the terrifying thing is when directors are inconsistent and they, you know, they, they tell you something's really important in one moment and then the pressure comes on and then they change. And then you're like, wait, this was important the other, you know, the other day and we got all this stuff here and now you're not even looking that direction. And, um, you know, I think that's what frustrates people. And it's also what wastes money, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, yeah. 100%. So, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I preps, you know, prep is key. I, I, not to say that it's that spontaneity and, and, um, mm-hmm. and sort of, uh, you know, looking for those moments isn't, it, it, there isn't value there. I mean, I think there absolutely is. I mean, it's been proven time and time again that there, you know, there are scenes in cinema that, um, would, uh, would not have been captured and wouldn't be in the movie. You know, it's Martin Sheen's, uh, you know, sliced hand in the beginning of apocalypse. <laughs> now it's like, you know, it's yeah. not something they plan, you know, neither was, uh, the, neither was the heart attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know, it's like, so, yeah. so I don't, you know, it's, I don't want to poo poo it, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but you can't, you can't to, have those moments uh, unless have you, yeah, you can't have those moments unless you have a plan, you know, like if you have a plan in place, then you're like, okay, we've got some time to find these things or I've given myself some time to look for these things or, Hey, we were looking for this and we didn't find it. So just go back to the plan. You, you have to have a plan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Or, or you structure your movie in such a way where, where you, you know, if you look at the way Terry Malick makes movies, I mean, I haven't made a movie with him, but I, I, I know enough about his process to understand that, he understands what his process needs to be to make the movies he wants to make. And, um, 
and and they they structure the films in such a way where that's supported, you know, with minimal people and and with lots of time, and you know, they sort of they stretch it all out so that so that he can work the way he wants to work, you know. And I think that's equally important, sort of figuring out what it is. And I think that's part of the the job of the cinematographer in the beginning of the process is learning what the director needs from you and trying mm-hmm. to support them. You know, okay, this is what this this is how I can help this person's process. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because all, all directors work differently. Some are visual, some are not visual. Some come from like a writer's medium. Some come from an actor's medium. Some don't really know or care about exactly what you're gonna, how you're gonna light or how you're gonna do that. It's it's interesting because then you early on you're just sort of figuring out how you fit into their vision, which is fascinating. Right. You know. Right. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's that's a great ego check because you know I think when I was younger. I was always concerned about working with older cinematographers because I'm like, this guy's just going to bring his shit. He's just going to walk all over me. And I think that there was, especially back in those days when it was more magician stuff and they were sort of in control of everything, there was always that risk as a young director that uh, you would have a a cinematographer that would walk all over you. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I mean, that's part of the casting process when you're looking for the right collaborator. At least I am. I'm always looking for a collaborator that knows more than me. A, that's important because then <laughs> I don't have any of the answers. So I want to make sure someone does. But then B, you know, also understands my language and uh, has the ability to to run with it and incorporate it and fill in the blanks where it's needed and and take his experience and and, and go. Oh, all right, you 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 don't know enough about this. I'll fill in those blanks without you even knowing about it. Okay, great. Right. That's always super cushy and comfortable for me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, look, you, I, cinematographers should not work for directors. They don't respect, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be in a situation where, um, and, and, you know, I, when I was a gaffer, I saw it a lot, you know, you sort of, and you see it a lot with direct, you know, DPs who want to direct, you know, they sort of feel like, Oh, well, that's not, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be doing this. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you, you sort of owe it to a director when you, when you take a job to, um, to support their process as best you can, you know, and, and figure out what it, what it is they need. But, but it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough balance because, um, you know, when you're DP, your name is on the slate. It's, it's, it's not there for glory. It's there for accountability. You know what I mean? That's why in the, you know, in the early days they put the cameraman's name on the slate is because, you know, if it was underexposed, they want to know who to blame. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we forget that. It's like, you know, that's, um, that's why it's there. So, um, you know, you sort of by, by, um, by design, you're, you're responsible for something, you know, you're, you're, you're there to take the accountability for something. And, and, and I think it's important, you know, especially to young filmmakers when they're partnering with someone to make sure that, uh, that you understand kind of where the, where the crossover is and you respect the person you're working with enough to make sure that they're going to make you look good. You know, that they're mm-hmm. going to, that, you know, on both sides of the coin, you know, the director DP relationship, that the director is, is going to make decisions that, that you as a DP support generally and, and on our, are encouraging of and, and appreciate. And also that, you know, the DP is going to, um, uh, you know, and this is, 
by far more important is is going to support the director in a way that that supports the way that they've outlined their they they're going to make their movie or maybe they haven't discovered how they're going to make their movie and you're going to discover it as you know in most cases i think that's true you discover it as you go along and you are open-minded enough to kind of recognize how that person's going to work and and how your process has to be adapted to support that way it, uh, that they want to work you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that's you know that is that's i mean that's i think in a nutshell kind of the 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 relationship and that's you know it's you know, the dangerous thing is when someone says oh this is how it has to be you know it's like well that's not really true at all you know it's it, yeah the way it has to be is the way it was you know at the premiere <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> um, that's true that's true and and in saying that you know i know i know there's not much you can talk about with it but how is working with michael mann like what what did you how did you find your place working with him well, you know, it's, I, I think in, you know, in his case, Michael's, uh, Michael's been doing it a long time, you know, I mean, he's, he's has more experience than anyone else I've ever worked with. I mean, God, you know, going back to Miami Vice. Oh my God. So, yeah. um, you know, I mean, it looks just, I mean, I'm not talking about the movie by the way, you know, yeah, no, the um, TV series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, and thief, I mean, God, thief is such a good movie, you know, thief is um, amazing. I, I'm so, constantly yeah. pulling stills from thief. Thief is gorgeous. That movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. So, you know, I mean, Michael is unquestionably, you know, one of the great American filmmakers, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think, you know, at least in my process is, is, uh, it was very much about trying to, um, come into, you know, another pre-existing system of how he makes movies and learning and trying to support the way he makes movies because, you know, I had spent a lot of time in, in the David Fincher camp yeah. um, and, you know, watching David make moving and movies and, and, and learning to anticipate the way David makes movies. And of course, um, you know, David is, is equally, uh, you know, an important filmmaker, you know, American filmmaker, obviously, but, um, but mm-hmm. they you know, the, the, the technique that they use to make their movies is entirely different. And so, you know, it was, it was really for me, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity to kind of learn how someone else needed to use their cinematographer and, and how best to, to, uh, to make things happen for them, you know? Um, and so was it's there... exciting. I mean, I, you know, I'm excited for people to see the movie. It's, it, we had a lot, <laughs> a lot of fun. It was pretty neat. I can't wait to see it, man. I like, I'm a huge Michael Mann fan in general. And so I've just been dying for, you know, you go back and you look at Heat. Heat is an amazing movie. The Insider's amazing, amazing fil- film. And yeah, so one just, of my favorite films, yeah. Yeah, and it, so I'm just waiting for, like, the Michael Mann movie to come back. So hopefully, fingers crossed <laughs> that you guys are killing yeah. it on this one. Yeah, like, what did you – um? What was the big thing that you were you surprised by the way he directed? Is there a Michael Mann technique that you were like, oh fuck, that's fascinating, that's specific? Like, is there anything that you could tell us about how he works? Oh, I mean, you know, I think he's someone who uh, is, you know, I don't want to talk so much about the movie because the movie is, you know, we just finished. But I, yeah, I, you know, course. I would say in terms of Michael, you know, Michael, the magic of Michael is he is unquestionably focused on the story so cool you know he does not he does not let himself get distracted by anything other than what's important for him in the story and what's important for the actors and what's important for the environment the actors are in um and uh i mean he is uh completely um Hmm. that that is 
that that is on a pedestal far above all the other priorities for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really admire that. You know, I mean, he really, really makes sure that 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 what's happening in the scene, what's happening dramatically on the, uh, you know, on the screen, but also, you know, uh, dramatically in, in the set supports the story. And, um, you know, I've never quite seen someone focus on it at the level that he's focusing on. And it's it's it is pretty remarkable. It's pretty crazy. So then is he is he uh, also incredibly involved with the, the visual aesthetic? Is he a director that's like, this is the specific lens that I think you should use for the sequence? Or is he leaving that in your hands? Like how, how is the collaboration between you two? No, I mean, Michael's, Michael's involved in everything, you know, as I think as any, as, as any filmmaker of his level should be, you know, I mean, he's involved in every decision, you know, the color of the wall, the color of the light, the, you know, he's, he's, he weighs in. It doesn't mean that he's making every decision, but he is participating in every decision wholly, you know? Um, and, yeah. and that, you know, in that regard, he's very similar to David, you know, I think he's like, um, you know, he's, uh, he's protective of his medium. I mean, look, it's, I, I think the, you know, the frame, the frame is the director's property. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, the frame and the speakers is, that's how the, that's how the director communicates to the audience. Um, so, uh, the, you know, what happens in the frame is the culmination of a bunch of craftspeople and artists and creative people and performers and stuff, you know, but, but that window that, that, that we give the audience into our world is, is by and large, you know, um, is owned by one person in my Mm -hmm. opinion and Mm -hmm. should be, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so it's, uh, you know, the, the, you know, terms of like making a decision on a lens or making a decision about camera position or whatever, that's, you know, that is, um, uh, it, unquestionably the, the, the first person that that decision should be run by <laughs> director, you know, um, you know, the, the operator, the cinematographer, you know, the production designer, all are going to weigh in and have conversations about what we should do in any given moment. Um, but, but there's, there's no question that, that that one per, in my mind anyway, that, that one person should make that decision, you know? Um, and that, mm-hmm. you know, that decision could just be like, you figure it out, you go get some great stuff and, and report back. And it's about trust and about relationship and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but, but in the end, you know, like when I say, oh, it's, you know, the, the cinematographer's name is on the slate because of it, because of accountability, um, you know, you can't forget that the director's name is above generally the cinematographer's <laughs> name and should be, you know? Um, all right. Right. And when, you know, when the movie is great, uh, when the movie is great, we all get credit. Um, when the movie is bad, one person gets blamed and that's, exactly. you know, that's something that, that we should never forget. And, and, um, and it's really important to, to, to remember, you know, especially in those moments when it's difficult, it's like, um, you know, it's uh, maybe less so in television, but, but certainly in, in feature filmmaking, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the buck stops with one person and it should, I think. So when you, how did you get the gig with, with Michael? Was, was this something that you were put in and there was a bunch of other cinematographers and you guys were sort of competing for it or did they call you directly? And then what was the, uh, <laughs> I mean, when you get a gig like that and you're like, I'm working with Michael Mann, that must've been quite an interesting uh, celebration and then followed by anxiety, right? <laughs> like, yeah, of course. I mean, of course. I mean, it was also, you know, yeah, I was thrilled. I, I had gotten, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I, I, we, I had met with him briefly to do Tokyo Vice. Oh, um, I when love he was that doing Tokyo show. Vice. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah, really great. And then it it ended up, you know, we 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 met a couple times, and and I wanted to do it, but um, because of COVID, the schedule shifted, and and I was unable to 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 you know, I just wasn't available. Actually, yeah, um, we were doing devotion at the time, so um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I uh, uh, and then you know, and then we stayed in touch, and and uh, he called me up, and and I met with him on this movie. We have some mutual friends, and um, you know. Uh, we know each other. So it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a little bit serendipitous, but, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. thrilling, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super cool, man. I'm excited. I can't wait to see that one. I'm pumped about that one. I can't wait to see all the new good. stuff that you're good, working good, good. on. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I love your, I love your look, man. I love your style. I love the way you do stuff. And, and that was before we talked and, and this conversation, it's just, it's really nice to hear your process. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to watch your career, man. It's, it's very cool. And I appreciate you being here and sharing so much with us. I know the audience is just, of course. The, if, if we were in a room, they'd all be quiet because it's, it's just fascinating <laughs> to hear it. You know, it's really cool, dude. It's very happy cool. to do it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. There it is. Uh, I am always astounded when I have the ability to have conversations like this. Um, and being able to convince someone who's incredibly busy. Eric is a very busy cinematographer. He's working a lot. Um, and just being able to convince an individual like this to sit down and share and uh, share his experiences and be honest and open it's a pleasure. It really is a pleasure. And uh, if there's something about this business that I love is that most people in it want to share their experiences, want to help the people that are coming up next. Um, and uh, it's nice, man. It's really nice to be have that experience. And uh, Eric, if you're listening to the show, thank you so much, dude. Uh, really appreciate you being here. And, um, you know, cannot wait, cannot wait to see the new Michael Mann movie that you're doing. Cannot wait to see. And we didn't talk about it. But uh, if you guys are IMDb Pro members, and this is where I'm reading this, so I'm not giving away any secrets that no one knows about. But uh, Eric is also teaming up again with David Fincher, according to IMDb Pro. Uh, And they are working on um oh my god the killer it uh, according to imdb pro the killer is in post-production so maybe he's already shot that one would assume that he's already shot that um those of you who don't know the killer is based on a comic book of course it is you know because everything is but it's a great comic book um and he was a cinematographer on that as well really cool stuff and and i had heard about eric initially and i mentioned him briefly uh in this episode and he's been on the show before multiple times my buddy Stu, Stu valberg who is an amazing director um but he uh, also is a second unit assistant director first assistant director he was a first assistant director on um mindhunter um he is uh been working for fincher quite a lot he also works for zach snyder 
I'm not allowed to say what he's working on right now, but he works with Zack Snyder. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a great fan of the show. Thank you, Stu, for all your hookups. And um, he's got some folks that we're going to try to get on here. We briefly talked about um, me and uh, Eric briefly talked about the power of a script supervisor. Um, we're trying to get a script supervisor on the show, a pretty big one, because I really want to tackle that, because most people don't think about script supervisors. It's one of those positions when you're doing your own pieces or you're doing like little independent films. It's one of those spots that sort of slips through the cracks and you don't get, um, and then you hate yourself for it when you're in the edit. Um, how many of you, raise your hands, know what a fucking script supervisor does? Right? How many of you understand the power of a script supervisor? <laughs> And, and how much directors, cinematographers, how much people rely, actors rely on those script supervisors for continuity reasons, you know, for story reasons. Have we got it? Do we get that? We were shooting this last week. What did we get? Right? It's pretty interesting shit, man. I, I think that'll be a great episode. I really do. Uh, so we'll try to make that happen. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for all the newcomers. And as we push into December, um, we're wrapping up the best year that our show has ever had. This will be the highest number year for listens that we've ever had. And to give you a perspective on this, as I pull up some numbers now, um, we... And this, like I said, I'm recording this show on the 28th of October. Okay, so this was recorded in the past. I'm speaking to you in the future. Um, as of October 28th, we have collectively this year done all of the listens, equal to all of the listens for one, two, three, four, five years prior. Wow. That's you guys. That's all of you newcomers telling your friends and you're here from the first like from the beginning with our show and as we push into the new year i have high expectations high hopes for the show to go even bigger go even better and so without you and without the listenership i couldn't get guests like i have today we couldn't have the sponsors we couldn't do the competitions the uh the contests rather that we have without you guys and girls out there that are telling your friends. So as we push into the new year, right? As you start to get your stats from Spotify, post proudly that you're one of the listeners of our show and that you've been here since the beginning. And you're here at the tipping point from when this show goes from just being me in my attic back in Boston, talking to friends to whatever comes next year. All right? I love everybody that listens to the show. Thank you for everything. Thank you for your support. And uh, I'll reward you by bringing another episode. Right? Say it with me. I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>